0: I'm a big fan of design and layout, typography, color. So we would focus and tell stories in that way to kids, knowing that just visually that would look different than every other children's book out there, but might resonate in a different way and challenge both grownups and kids.
1: Every company today is trying to become a media company, but few are actually succeeding. A Kid's Company About is one of them. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, I talked to Jelani Memory, the founder and CEO of A Kid's Company About, and I picked his brain on how exactly he went from writing and selling children's books about tough topics to overseeing a growing media empire. We talked about the need for authentic storytelling in books or in your product or brand story, and how by trying to please everyone, you actually please no one. We also got into how to choose investors and what the future of media, particularly for kids, might look like really quick i want to say thank you thank you to our awesome sponsor salesforce commerce cloud and i'm going to allow them to give you the inside scoop into some of the findings from their most recent state of commerce report
2: hi this is john from salesforce did you know that companies of all sizes and industries power their digital customer journeys with commerce cloud Salesforce Commerce Cloud delivers B2B and B2C commerce, as well as order management around the globe. And with Commerce Cloud, you can engage with your customers anywhere and personalize interactions everywhere, scale and innovate with ease, and drive some serious growth for your business. And speaking of innovation, we recently surveyed nearly 1,400 commerce leaders and analyzed the consumer shopping and business buying behavior of more than 1 billion customers worldwide. And we uncovered emerging trends that will influence how companies can be successful and stay ahead in this ever-evolving landscape. To check out the trends we discovered, go to sfdc.co slash commerce insights. That's sfdc.co/commerce insights, one word.
1: Before we get into the episode, I would love it if you could hit subscribe and give the show a rating and review. I really want to know what you think and hear how we're doing. All right, on to the interview. Welcome back to another episode of Updex in Commerce. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, CEO at Mission. Today on the show, we have Jelani Memory, who's the founder and CEO at A Kid's Company About. Jelani, welcome.
0: It's so wonderful to be here.
1: I'm very, very excited to talk all things kids and media. I feel like it's something I've been thinking about for a long time. So I'm very excited to have you on the show today. I would love to hear first, what is A Kid's Company About and how did you... Create that company? Like, Where did that idea come from?
0: Yeah. A kid's company about is a kid's media company. We make books, podcasts. We've got an app or two. Uh, we tell stories for kids that we hope are the most important stories that kids ever hear on topics like mental health or racism or social issues or death, cancer, loneliness, boredom, adventure, creativity. We think kids are ready for stories that uh, meet them where they're at and talk up to them and not down to them and not merely try and entertain them, but empower them. I love it. The company started by accident. <laughs> I, back in 2018, I wrote a book for my kids titled A Kid's Book About Racism. I, I had five at the time with one on the way, uh, blended family.
1: Whoa, like a- five kids?
0: Yeah. Every kid under the sun feels like they're in my house. <laughs> So four white stepkids, one brown biological girl, and then one new little baby boy on the way back in in 2018, who was born in August. And so I wrote a book for them. Um, I wanted them to always feel like they could talk with me, their black dad, about race, culture, color, and racism. Uh, and, And little did I know that that one little book that I wrote and designed and printed would leave an impact on them, but even more so leave a a really massive impact on me based on their response to it. They were, they loved it. They dove in, they asked new questions, they shared new experiences. And they also gave me the best idea in the world, which was to make that little book more than one book was to do books on every topic for kids so that they'd stop getting talked down to and start getting talked up to. So that was really the genesis. Um, I was uh, chief product officer at another company at the time, a company called Circle. I left that company four months after having written my book to go chase this mad, bonkers publishing endeavor to make really important books for kids. Having no experience, by the way, really in publishing at all, I fancy myself slightly a writer and a little bit of a designer, but a whole lot of an entrepreneur. And I just was like, I don't know if anybody's going to do this. I don't know if anybody's going to make these books and tell these stories. And now two years into it, we have 70 plus books. We have nine original podcast shows, um, all with different hosts and we have an app full of hours and hours and hours of empowering and challenging and important video content for kids.
1: Wow. Okay. So what were you feeling when you were thinking about jumping full time onto this idea? Because I'm thinking, okay, chief product officer, that's a pretty great role. Obviously at a company that just got acquired, it was you know, growing quick. Something was happening well there. What were the feelings when you're like, I'm going to go and try this thing?
0: Yeah, and I'd founded the company too. So I, you know, I had been there for five years. We had just closed our Series B funding. So Oh,
1: you founded Circle.
0: Yeah, I founded Circle.
1: Got it. Okay.
0: And uh, it was a rocket ship for all intents and purposes. Um, So who gets off a rocket ship when it's halfway to the moon, right?
1: Jelani does. (laughs) Jelani
0: does. It was really simple. It was, can this company be fine without me? And the answer was yes. And then two, will I kill myself later? if i don't go try and make these books and it was like yeah cuz i just could not let it go and it wasn't a matter of oh somebody's going to beat me to it it was if i don't do this no one will and there's a whole bunch of reasons why i believe that but at the time i was i was totally right and so the decision was quite easy go venture out and start this new thing tons of risk there my wife a total champ for being on board and look, it all worked out. It's working out, which is cool. But that wasn't a foregone conclusion then. Um, but I'm, I'm so glad I did it.
1: Oh, I love that. So I want to hear a bit about Circle then. like, What is Circle? So I know kind of the leap of where you were versus where you are now.
0: Yeah, Circle. <laughs> well, look, I, in college, I'm two credits shy from a degree in theology and Koine Greek. I became a photographer after college, of all things, babies, weddings, and then commercial photography. And then I turned myself into a filmmaker after that, doing stuff for Nike and Adidas and Reebok. Wow. And then a friend was like, we should start a company together. And I was like, why not? I've I've reinvented myself three times already. And it was all about giving our kids a great relationship with technology Which obviously is a massive epidemic now, but we could sort of see where the puck was going, that we were only going to become more connected, that it was only going to become more fraught, and kids were going to get devices earlier and earlier. And so we wanted parents to be able to parent in that space with their kids, not necessarily pure restriction or keep them away from the bad stuff, but all about being able to help their kids grow up with a healthy relationship with it. So we called it Circle, hardware, software, consumer electronics, blah, blah, blah. And all managed from an app to manage the devices in your home. Pause the internet, set time limits, bedtimes. And we we genuinely, we invented all that stuff. We literally owned the trademark for pause the internet. Wow. And uh, quite luckily got in contact with the Walt Disney Company and they wanted a partner. So we launched the product as Circle with Disney. Wow. Yeah, back in, in 2015. And um, it was incredible. We were making something that was revolutionary and groundbreaking as well as I think doing a lot of good in a lot of families' lives and, and helping parents out, which is a big thing for me. So I spent my early days, I was the founding CEO and I stepped out of that role to focus on product and marketing. And then eventually sort of, uh, you know, fell into the the chief product officer role and co-founder and learned so much. I'd never founded a company before. I'd never had to manage people before. I'd never had to hire or fire. But I realized I was like, this is what I was made to do. (laughs) This is so much fun to get to make all day long and solve really hard problems.
1: That's awesome. I mean, it seems like now your history and everything you've built up is perfect for where you're at now. It's like all your skills are coming together to have this media company for kids, which is really cool.
0: Yeah. 1000%.
1: So when thinking about your first book, you wrote it for your kids. What did it look like when they were like, Hey, you should make more of these and put it out to the world. Like what were the next steps to actually publishing more than just one book and then having different types of books? What did that look like?
0: Yeah. I've never been asked that so succinctly, but I, th- I think I have three things. One was validation. The second was research. And then the third was planning. I needed to figure out whether there was actually a there there. So I set up coffee with friends and you know, have my little one copy of my book there. And I go, hey, look, here's a thing I just made. What, what do you think? I made it for my kids. And they would proceed to read it. And they, they'd said this same thing every time. Can I take this home and read it to my kids? And I was like, really? And they're like, yeah, I don't know how to start this conversation, but I do now. And that, that blew me away. And after that happens once or twice, you're sort of like, okay, cool. And then five times, 10 times, 20 times, it's sort of like, okay, I, I could be making money right now if I just had more copies of these books, right? So that was sort of my validation of that there's a there, there. Um, the research portion, I didn't know how publishing worked. And so I bought this really wonderful little book called The People's Guide to Publishing. It's written by a guy who's run an independent publisher for some 25, 30 years, a guy named Joe Beal. And uh, it was everything he's learned about publishing in that span of time. And it was illuminating to go, oh, publishing's a really bad business model. Yeah. Um, like really bad. But it doesn't have to be. And it was perplexing to me to go, why do publishers behave in some of these? Why do they do this? So I was able to sort of, you know, like a candy store, pick and choose what I wanted to take with me. And then things that I go, I don't actually want to take that. I think I can bring some stuff from my past as a startup founder to include in this business model and make something new, which then leads to the third one, which is the planning, constructing what the brand would look like and not visually, but, you know, structurally the go-to-market, the publishing process, literally just think about everything from the ground up. And that was a lot of fun. And there were a lot of assumptions made then. Quite luckily, we we were right about a lot of them. We were right that we could workshop and write a book in a single day. And we've done that with all 60 plus of our books.
1: Wow, a single day. How many pages are these books?
0: 64 pages.
1: In a single day. That's impressive.
0: <laughs> I would say
1: I have a new standard for my producers now. H- Hillary's going to be very upset. i be like, in a single day, Jelani said.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can do it. You know, we conceived of book publisher as brand. I'm sure you probably have a handful of favorite publishers, maybe. But the reality is you probably don't buy books from them because of the, they're the publisher. You buy them because it's the author, because it's the topic, or because it's a part of a a series franchise, that sort of thing. But you don't go, show me all the Simon and Schuster books when you go to the bookstore. You just don't do that because that's not how we relate to publishers. But if it could be a brand like Nike or Apple or Netflix, there's some power there, right? And then the next part really was about, we wanted to dive into these tough topics. Who do we want to tell those stories? And I realized that can't just be quote unquote writers or authors. This has to be folks with life lived experience. And so we realized we would partner with folks with those stories to help them create their book. Hence was born the the workshop process to write a book in a day. I'm a big fan of design and layout, typography, color. So we would focus and tell stories in that way to kids, knowing that just visually that would look different than every other children's book out there, but might resonate in a different way and and challenge both grownups and kids to go, can you read between the lines? Can you imagine the story? Can you use this as a jumping off point for a conversation and not just get locked inside of the, the dragon did this to the bear and then they rescued the so-and-so from the, like, you know, like. Those are fine, and there's a million children's books like that, but there's only a handful of books that are like ours. So we launched the business in 2019 with six books ready to ship and six books on pre-order. Creativity, depression, anxiety, racism, cancer, and a handful more. And it works. Parents, grandparents, therapists, doctors, (laughs) lawyers, uh, educators you name it, show up and buy these books to help start these important conversations with the kids in their lives.
1: Wow, I love that. Okay, so when thinking about even getting these books in front of people, like how did you get the word out that you had these six books coming out ready to be bought?
0: You know, I always struggle with this answer. How do you launch a brand? It's a combination of so many factors that it's almost hard to keep track. So let me see if I can uh, at least elucidate what factors we had. We had all these authors who had made a thing with us. And naturally, they've got their own networks. And what's cooler than getting to say, I wrote a book, come check it out.
1: Yeah, they're like your many influencers.
0: There are many influencers, right? So, so that was really powerful. The second was, is we had a group of investors, all who had bought into this mission. And so now it's like, hey, we're launching on this day. I'm going to give you a handful of books and go, you know, go proselytize everybody you can about, you know, what we're up to and what we're doing and that these books exist, et cetera, et cetera. Third was getting a few press hits, right? So reaching out to local press, press that had covered, you know, my previous company, friends uh, who were reporters, you know, anybody, sort of beg, borrow, and steal to go, hey, we're disrupting publishing. Come check us out and and you know try and get a few articles written. And then it's just pure hustle after that, you know, on your own Facebook page, Instagram, uh, you name it. And once people start to show up, I mean, you find out really quickly whether you've got something that people like and understand or whether you have something that's kind of garbage or people don't get right, which is usually the biggest problem is sort of like, I don't understand what you're selling. (laughs) Can you just tell me what you're selling? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Or why I need it. That sounds nice. but (laughs) Exactly.
0: And then from there, it usually is a snowball effect where you're layering on things like affiliate marketing, digital ad spend, you know, content marketing, etc., um, etc. Cetera, et cetera.
1: Okay, so you've got these books out in the world. I'm trying to think about the arrangement with the writer. So, like, what does that actually look like? Because on one side, I hear you saying like you don't want to be a publisher. Like, no one thinks about Simon and Schuster ever. Probably, I want to be the company that you know. Is at the forefront where people are like, oh, thank you so much for bringing all these books to me. Mm-hmm. But how do you work with writers, which, you know, within my company, we do quite often, which can sometimes be a struggle where they're like, this is my story and it has to fit in this. And then from, you know, my side, I'm like, well, this is how the company is. Like, this is the structure it has to be in, Yeah, which kind of sounds similar to you all. So like, how do you go about finding these writers and working with them and letting them tell their story, but also fit within the constraints of your company?
0: Yeah, I think two things. Um, one, don't work with writers. And, and two, um, <laughs> make, make the process lead to an inevitable conclusion. And so on the first point, most of the authors who author with us, who uh, create books with us have never written a book.
1: Ah, so it's just they got a good story.
0: They have a good story. And actually, more importantly, they have an authentic experience. I made my book for my kids. My kids responded well to it. My friends responded well to it as we thought about starting a company, I went back to my book and just asked myself, what works about this? Why does it work so well? I, I didn't understand why it was so effective. And part sort of the audacity of putting the word racism on the front of a kid's book It was part the no pictures thing. It was part the deep into my personal story. But more than that, I had an authenticity speaking about the subject from my own experience that not everyone has. And so I thought, well, well, then that makes the equation really easy. We always have to find somebody who's essentially unimpeachable, who has so much credibility, so much standing with that topic, that one, you might think of them as being inextricably associated with it. But two, you'd go, oh, of course they made that book. That makes all the sense in the world. So for a topic like, and I just, I'd I'd made a list of like a hundred topics that I wanted to do for topics like cancer or feminism, I was like, I'm not the person to write those. Not a lot of experience and zero authenticity when it comes to those subjects. So then it was easy to go sort of point your compass in the right direction and find the person who can embody that. So we found a social worker and a a medical doctor who treat pediatric cancer patients um, to write our cancer book. Duh tons of experience there, credibility, authenticity. We didn't even ask them, can you write well? Because it wasn't it wasn't a part of the equation. And for our feminism book, really wonderful entrepreneur, Emma McElroy runs a, a really killer brand called Wild Fang, just a, a feminist through and through who can bring an authenticity to that story that I could never do. So then what we do is we bring in those folks into a process that Takes all the preciousness out of writing. Writing has become this really sort of—I don't want to say hoity-toity, but that's kind of the the word that I want to use. It's precious. It's sort of like these are my words, and I wrote a book, and this paragraph, and I just sort of go so
1: offended "Ah." when you're like, ah, you got to change this. (gasps) Exactly. Yeah, I experience this quite often
0: here. (laughs) Yeah. Why can't it be more about the impact of the story and the importance of the story? And so, writing a book in a day kills some of that preciousness where we create some urgency to go, we're going to do it today. So we can't be too precious. And two, their primary activity in the workshop is actually not to write. It's to speak. It's to talk. It's to share. Our job is to help sort of um, package, make sense of, ask questions, structure their words and edit along the way to go, I get why you said that, but it's, let's get to the core of what this is. And when you complete the manuscript in the room together during that workshop, who wrote what word is unimportant. The question we ask ourselves is, first, would this make an impact on seven-year-old me? And two, does this embody the thoughts, feelings, and ideas of you, the author? And if we can say yes to both of those, great. The book is done, and it's unimportant how we got there. And then we go through some editing and design and those sorts of things, but we lead in those processes as opposed to let the author lead. And they're there as our litmus test to keep us honest, to keep us true to the authentic story that they have. Now, what I've just described is like, it's almost hard to call that writing. It's something else, right? It's almost like product ideation or development. But instead of trying to make the author the lead chef, we go, hey, Come share your recipe with us. Come share your ingredients. We already have a recipe. We just need your special ingredients to make this thing.
1: There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, Work doesn't stay at the office and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise and alternative medicine and maybe even plant medicine. Who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday, So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host Albert Chow as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't talk about publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. I love that. I mean, that's getting into the whole, you know, decentralizing everything in a way where why would you try and be an expert on everything when there's experts all around us? You just have to find them and tap into them. I'm sure they want to share their stories or their expertise.
0: Yeah. And i take that further to say everyone is an expert on something. And in fact, everyone is definitely an expert on their own story. Yep. And so we anchor into the personal story in a way that, you know, uh, very few kids books do. They are all deeply personal. So even a kid's book about racism should be probably subtitled like a kid's book about racism jelani memories experience right Mm -hmm. it's one it's a kid's book not the kid's book and that's an important distinction when you're talking about you know experience related to a huge topic
1: Mm -hmm. i mean how do you think about that when you know now you said you're you know you have podcasts you have all kinds of media like you guys are you know a full media company now how do you think about making you know a bestseller or a podcast that does really well or something but then also being like and this is one person's experience like this is not the book or podcast about that it's keeping it authentic to this is this person's experience and maybe there's someone who has the exact opposite or different or you know 10x that or you know there's so many different ways to express the story i'm sure and everyone probably has a different way of thinking about it how do you keep it authentic to each individual person that you talk to and then also have the kid understand that
0: too yeah I think it's about being hyper authentic. There's a kind of storytelling or a way that I think some of us can go about in the world where we try and make ourselves palatable to everyone. We quite honestly, we do the exact opposite. We try and go so hyper authentic so that it's easy to understand the things that are the same or like your experience and easy to jettison the things to go, that's not my experience, but to know, this is so deeply their experience that I don't have to adopt it as my experience. I can know that this is where we differ or depart and still understand them and agree with them with different parts of their story. So we just sort of lean into that. And I think with where kids media has gone across the last you know decade or so, it's gone into this sort of hyper-generalized everything to everybody, biggest box office numbers. How do we reach the most folks? And I, you know, like Cocoa Melon comes to example, you know, like, yeah, it's like the if you go that sort of vanilla, is it really anything anymore? Does it, you know, if a tree falls in the forest, like, will anybody watch Cocoa Melon, right? It's like that sort of storytelling is not interesting to us at all. It's about being hyper authentic and real and then being able to hold more than one idea in your head at the same time to go, I can hear this person and empathize and understand them also knowing either my experience is different or I might not even agree with their experience, but I can value them and see them inside of this book.
1: I mean, this is what adults need
0: also. This is what, I, 1000%, kids are really good at this, you know?
1: Yeah, I feel like kids actually are better. I mean, it, just so many people these days, I feel like are so polarized on one side or the other, and there's no way to even see the human behind an issue. And then it's like, okay, that person's completely written out instead of being like, that could be definitely their story. That could have definitely happened to them. However, I I might not resonate with their truth or, you know, their belief system around X, Y, or Z, but I still see them as a human and that could have totally happened to them. And if it did, I'm, you know, very empathetic. Like you don't really see enough of that. And so to me, it's perfect bringing it back to the kids. So then hopefully it bubbles up to the adults too and the parents.
0: Yeah,
1: It could have impacted a lot more people than just kids.
0: I think so. And look, uh, kids, it's very easy to change their minds and their ideas and their values because they're just now forming them in their childhood. Very hard for adults. But for us, it's about creating those bridges. And I think when an adult can go oh, that topic wasn't that scary now to introduce and talk about. And oh, wow, my kid is like totally ready to talk about this. Mm -hmm. They have they've already thought about it. Yep. Then starts to move that grown up in the direction where they go, "Uh huh, that wasn't exactly what I thought that was. Or maybe some of my ideas are changing about this thing, or at least I just understand it now, because I think the job of being an adult is sort of to pretend like, you know, everything. And then, definitely, when it comes to you sort of adult to kid, is basically to enforce, like, oh, I do know everything, and you have to listen to all the things that I say. And the reality is, we barely know anything. Yep. In fact, the older we get, the more we go, I don't really know much at all. Yeah. I just kind of am politely pretending that I understand, you know, geopolitics and inflation and <laughs> cryptocurrency. <laughs> you know I, mean? like, I know it all. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like, it's just not possible. So uh, I, our books come in in a really stealth way, as well as our podcasts, to sort of say, this is for the kids, quote unquote, but adults will walk away and go, wow, I never knew that. Which is, I find every time we make a new book or podcast or video, I go, huh. I never knew that. And it's, it's led me to be a lot more open-minded about ideas.
1: Yeah. I also feel like parents of this generation are a little bit more open-minded though, to parenting in a different way. That's what I've seen. I mean, you know, a mom of three boys under four, like just in those past four years, what I've been exposed to and thoughts I've had to have and like, okay, how do I parent well? And, you know, you should apologize to your kid and you should, you know, listen to them and change your mind if they have a better opinion. And It's such different parenting styles that are now kind of coming out than what, you know, I grew up with and generations uh, before us. And it's interesting seeing just a lot of things shift. I would say, I would say for the better. I mean, I guess it depends how you're seeing things, but things like this could also even amplify, uh, yeah, these new ways of parenting and thought processes and like how to raise kids and Mm. uh, yeah, it's all really exciting to watch just new generations raising kids in a very different way.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I would say that this is the best generation of parents that's ever existed. Mm -hmm. And I I say that without any sense of irony or sarcasm. I really mean that. Show me a generation previously that apologized to their kids. Ever,
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> it just never happened. Yeah, you know. Now, look, we get stuff wrong. Um, we're really afraid of screwing up our kids, mm-hmm. probably a little too much. Too much um, yeah, which leads to sort of the helicopter parenting and stuff like that. But you know, it's not like the boomer generation. It's not like the silent generation. We don't just sort of send our kids into the woods and sort of say, "I hope you survive," right? Like we we there and they know us as emotionally complex beings that are there in in life with them. And that's massively healing and growing and beneficial for kids to feel loved and um, known, seen, and be happy and healthy.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I, I was just looking up, um, there's this instagram account of this woman i feel like you would love it's like the mama village or something like this she's this canadian mom Mm. and she has all these posts that are basically like going through just exactly what you and i are saying of like hey if you know do something wrong you can apologize like here's what it actually looks like behind the scene for the kids and if they're doing this here's how to talk to them and here's how to let them express their emotions and be mad and really good and it reminds me a lot of the conversation we're having right now just like little tidbits so we'll link it up in the show notes for anyone who's like what account is that i I think it's the mama village or something like that. Things like that though. I'm like, who had those kind of tips back in the day? You know, when they were raising kids of like little quick moments to be like, oh, that's a good point. I probably could have chosen to do something differently if I had this one little piece of advice here.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the number one bit of feedback I get on our books from adults and specifically usually a millennial parents is I wish I had this when I was a kid mm-hmm. universally, because the reality is we didn't. Nothing even close to it.
1: So when thinking about branching out you know, and expanding your channels, you had books and then you are doing podcasts now. Like, Tell me a bit about what that thought process looked like to get on other platforms and other outlets.
0: Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, it was a, a massive risk. We had reached scale with books and had also reached breakeven, which is like great. We had more money in the bank than we had raised. I was like, this is kind of cool. So we ended 2020 in that spot where I was like, I guess we've built a really great business. (laughs) And so I was like, why am I trying to change it? (laughs) The thought process was there's more stories to tell, and there's more storytellers to tell them, and there's more ways to tell those stories. And because of my background, I knew more about telling stories through audio and more through telling stories through visual mediums like, you know, film and video. And then I had a massive tech background, um, you know, deploying a consumer uh, electronic device as well as, you know, subscription apps and whatnot. So being able to bring some of those pieces to the business um, felt right and would allow us to scale our ability to tell story to kids and all the mediums that we thought you know, made sense. So went out, raised a Series A, $7 million, led by the wonderful folks at Pendulum and uh, a handful of other funds and angel investors to support the growth into podcasts and to apps and to video. and then grew the requisite team to support that. And it's been a wild year. Uh, we we started the year, I think at 10 people. We're 25 now, and have built so much stuff. Um, it's been really cool to watch. and you know, Apple recognized our uh, flagship podcast, a kids' book about the podcast, as one of their top shows of 2021, which is so cool.
1: Amazing! Congratulations!
0: Yeah, not only that, I think one of the you know the badges of honor there is that it was the only kids' show chosen. Wow! For that honor, and just a credit to, to Apple, and also a credit to I think the storytelling that we're doing for kids, really elevating what a podcast can be for kids. It was really about taking the process that we make our books and going, what can we keep from this? And what do we need to jettison when it comes to making these other media formats? And it turns out there was a lot that we had gained and learned and could adapt from our workshop process for podcasts and for our video content, specifically a kid's class about, which is sort of like our version of masterclass for kids. And so we workshop all the, all that content, it happens in a different way where it's not like the whole podcast gets written in a day. Like that doesn't even make any sense, but, um, the conceit, the concept, the episode count, the approach, the tone, like all that gets workshopped in a day. And then what's great is then we go to execute. And by the way, like this is usually done with folks who've never podcasted before. It's all about authentic experience. Right. Can they show up there and tell a story in an authentic way? Whether that's through interviews or, you know, through monologue or through something scripted or unscripted. So we've spent the year figuring out how to do that, doing that, and then trying to scale that. So excited about 2022 and what that represents for us to really sort of go after it. Now having really refined the process to make all the the different types of media.
1: Wow. So when thinking about taking on investment what would you maybe do differently and how did it help you guys? Of course, around hiring, you had extra cash, but like were there other things you were looking for when taking on an investment partner?
0: First, I wouldn't have done a single thing differently. I think we executed really well. And this is like for any of the entrepreneurs listening, it's like you get to choose who you take your money from, not the other way around. And that's so important. They're joining your cap table Uh, You're not joining their cap table. And so I was choosy, whether that was around the conviction of the brand and how much they bought into what we were doing or what other businesses they're funded, invested in to what the value add could be. So really proud of the the group of investors we brought on. And we did something really unusual. Something like 93% of the capital came from black and brown investors for our series A. I don't even know of another business that's done that we wanted to reflect the diversity in our talent pool and in our team, also in our cap table. That's usually the one place that ends up being really white and really male yeah, yeah. in almost an unavoidable fashion. And we were just like, nah, that's not us. That's not who we are. And then uh, more money, more problems, right? Like yeah. uh, having more <laughs> cash in the bank. It was really important for us to go like, we're gonna spend a bunch of money. We're gonna lose a bunch of money initially because we're gonna be investing into the business pretty heavily, and we're gonna need to emotionally deal with that and cope with that reality, yeah. uh, going from like a, a break-even business into you know a money-losing business because of that investment. But really proud of one the approach we took in uh, taking on investment, the investors that we brought on, and then the the investment of the capital across 2021.
1: Amazing. All right. My last question is around the future. When it comes to the future of media and kids content, like, what are you planning on? I would say within the next like five to ten years, because I can tell already you're a long-term thinker. You're planning for the future. What are you seeing right now, and what are you kind of preparing for?
0: Yeah, the things that we're thinking about and seeing and planning for are all about authentically speaking to kids where they're at. So I'll give you a good example. Um, Our book, our book series, a kids book about is range from five to nine. And you go under that and kids lose interest because they don't have pictures. And you go over that and kids really lose interest because they go, I don't read kids books. I'm not a kid anymore. So for us, like making products specific to kids experience and also their age demographic is really important. So we're exploring things for kids in that sort of early adolescence, you know, tween age, teenage, and then older teenagers and then parents because turns out parents have a lot of impact on kids. <laughs> and so speaking directly to them becomes quite important. We want to tell stories everywhere that kids are and not in a fake or put upon or cheesy way, in a real way. And so you can think of all of the social media platforms that kids spend time on. We have been sort of giving a really concerted effort to go, how do we show up in those spaces in an authentic way and not in like a, Here's a cheesy video you have to watch that like your parents want you to watch, but, you know, for real. And that's really exciting for me because that's a hard problem to solve. Right. I I watch my kids and how they spend their time on TikTok. And it's like they're not trying to watch like an ad from the Walt Disney company. Like they're just not. Right. Right. And then, you know, all the formats we want to do long form, short form. We want to be in the documentary space. We want to be in the animation space, uh, theatrical film, TV, and then educational tooling. We think of ourselves as a bit of an education company, a bit of an entertainment company, and a bit of something, an I, I, empowerment company, because of all the things that we're up to. So, you know, five, 10 years from now, my hope is is that every classroom, every household where a kid from zero to 18 is present, they have one of our stories there, right? That's being used to hopefully shape, empower, you know, inform that kid there.
1: Yeah, I love that, very powerful. Jelani, thank you so much for coming on today. I could really sit here and chat with you for at least another hour on all things media and kids. We'll have to have you back in the future. But until then, where can people learn more about you and a kid's company about?
0: Ah, well, really wonderful to be on and to find more about us and all of our products, just go to akidsco.com.
1: Amazing, thanks so much. Thank you. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast.